and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you, if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Good morning. Seems like recently we hear a lot in the news of prominent Christians who have turned their back on their faith. They've had a great ministry and then suddenly something happened and they claim to not be Christians anymore. For example, Josh Harris, who wrote the influential book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, in 1997 and has been pastoring ever since, recently told his followers on Instagram and Twitter, he said, the popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Those are his own words. Or shortly after that, Marty Sampson of Hillsong, who actually wrote one of the songs we sang this morning. Oh, praise the name. Powerful song, great song. As it says, he posted a similar statement recently on Instagram, Twitter, saying, quote, I am genuinely losing my faith, unquote. Well, we know of many of other examples. We've heard of people who have lost their faith. I was in my college ministry with someone who was actively involved. His name is John, and then I heard he'd moved to Boise. And so I thought that was great, and, but then I heard he was married to a Muslim. And we got together as couples, heard his story of how he'd converted from Christianity to Islam. <laughs> you can't live long in the Christian world without seeing people that you care about in your own world, in your own life, not just in the news, but people who seem to be walking with the Lord and they're doing well and then they seem to fall away and even claim to be unbelievers. It should help us sense that we are all vulnerable. 
We're all vulnerable to doubt, confusion, error. So what happened to these people? What happens when that happens? Did they not really understand the gospel? Were they never really believers? Part of that's a mystery. Did they have area of their areas of their lives that they never talked about? Doubts, sin struggles, trauma, something going on that they just couldn't deal with, but they couldn't talk about it to anybody else. Probably. I mean, we don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that we are called to be a community together and to walk together in this journey of faith that is often hard for all of us and, if we're honest, includes for every one of us doubts, struggles, pain, and trauma. The Christian life is not like a walk in the park. It's more like extreme mountain climbing where you're not going to make it on your own. You've got to be roped to someone else because there'll be a time when you slip as well. And you're going to need someone to catch you. And you're going to need to be there to someone else to catch them as well. Too many of us are climbing solo, and as we all know, you climb solo long enough, and eventually you fall, and there will be no one to catch you. Because we're all biased. We're, we're, we're all prone to fall. We don't, uh, this is a hard journey. Well, the early church, as we go through this book of Acts, they were in process as well. They were trying to figure out their theology. They were trying to figure out, how do you do this Christian life thing? How do you walk with Jesus? How do you make this work? And how do we support each other as believers in this community? In our particular passage today, we'll see how Paul and Priscilla and Aquila come alongside others who need help. They need strengthening in their faith and their theology and their walking with the Lord. And their example of how they come alongside, how they rope themselves to these other believers can help us see how we can be of greater help to one another. How we can learn to rope ourselves to each other so that we can, we can get through this together. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage, may it inspire us. May, may we see where we're not connected maybe with, with others in the way we need to be and help us, Lord, to begin to connect in a way that will allow us to strengthen one another and get through these difficult places in our lives together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this passage, it's kind of an in-between passage between Corinth and Ephesus, and it actually shows the end of Paul's first, mis first missionary journey and the beginning of a second. I just want to show you a map of what's all covered in this one little section here. Paul goes from Corinth <clears throat> to Ephesus, but then in our passage he goes all the way from Ephesus to Caesarea, but then what you don't see from the map, he'll go to He'll go back to uh, Jerusalem and then up to Antioch and then back through Lystra, Derby, Iconium, all the way back to Ephesus, all in our little section that we're looking at today. But I want to talk about three different ways I see in this passage that we can strengthen one another. And the first one is strengthening the weak. Strengthening the weak. 
Paul has a vow, and I'll come back to that later. But as he's traveling around and he goes through the churches that he'd established sometime before in the area of Turkey, it says in verse 23, after spending some time there in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, modern Turkey, strengthening all the disciples. Strengthening all the disciples. Now, what does that imply? Well, it implies that they're weak, right? (laughs) That there's weakness there that needs to be shored up, that there's something wrong. They need some kind of strengthening in their lives. They had become Christians, but there were areas of their lives that they just needed to be shored up. One of my jobs at one point was woodworking, and we would get furniture brought in, and it was antique furniture. And they always seemed to be, have loose joints, and we would break apart the whole thing, and, and then we would rebuild it to strengthen it and make it strong, the joints, with glue and with uh, different pieces of wood. So often we had to replace parts and all of that to strengthen the wood. And we all have weak joints, don't we? <laughs> we all have places that need to be strengthened. We need to be rebuilt at times, re-glued, so to speak. But what does this really look like? Well, actually, the same word is used back in Acts 14 as it talks about Paul traveling through the same churches. (laughs) And it says in verse 21 of chapter 14, when he had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening, same word, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, the particular place they needed to be strengthened was in how they dealt with the trials and tribulations and struggles of life. One of the areas of human weakness that we all have is that in the midst of trials, we can get so caught up in the struggle and in the pain and in the trauma and in what's going on with us, that we can lose perspective and just can't see how God is working. It's at that very point that we especially need encouragement. We need a visible reminder that God is present, that He is there, that He is with us in the midst of the trial. And what is that visible reminder that God is there? It's you. It's you. It's me. It's... It's us showing up to connect ourselves with those people that are struggling at that point. Uh, I, I do a lot of hospital visitation and home visitations of people that are hurting, and I used to think, man, I've got to figure out the right thing to say and you know, the right prayer, the right passage. And what I've come to see is the most important thing is just showing up. Just showing up because your presence there says God cares. He loves you. He is with you. He is present with you in your trial. And it's great to pray together and point to the word and all of that. But, but it's so important that we show up. You see, we need that encouragement when we're going through hard times. You may have heard the illustration before. We've used it several times, but it's so helpful to me. It's a powerful one is, is of the giant redwoods. You know, giant redwoods have very shallow root system. 
So how in the world do they survive these giant trees as the storms blow off of the Pacific Ocean and hit the redwoods there in Northern California? How do, how do those redwoods survive? Well, it's because they grow in groves. They grow next to other trees. And actually, though their root system is very shallow, they interweave with the trees around them. And so when the storms come, they hold each other up. To me, that's a beautiful picture of what we are called to do with one another, that, that we've got to interweave our lives. We've got to interconnect. We've got to rope ourselves to one another because it's at those times of when the storms come that we are most vulnerable. So how can we do that? How can we strengthen each other's faith in those hard times? Well, a lot of it is just showing up. Watch and listen. And when you find out somebody's hurting, connect with them somehow. Interweave your life with them. Go and visit them. Bring them a meal. Whatever it might be to remind them that God is present. And when you yourself are struggling, let somebody know. Let someone know so, so they can come alongside as well. You, you got to weave your life together with others because they need the opportunity to come alongside you and just like you need to come alongside them. We got to rope ourselves to one another. We got to interweave our roots so that so that we can get through this thing together. This is not easy, this Christian life. So we can strengthen each other by strengthening the weak in those times of trial. Another way that we can strengthen each other is helping others understand grace. Helping one another understand grace. In verse 24 and following, we get introduced to this Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria who came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent, in the scriptures, and it goes on to talk about, and this Apollos guy must have been an incredible speaker. He was a trained oratician. He was trained in rhetoric. He could captivate an audience with his speaking. He was a true wordsmith. It says he knew the scriptures well, so the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament inside out. And we're told that he knew about John the Baptist's teachings but didn't know the end of the story. Interesting. He knew, you see, John the Baptist taught, hey, repent, turn to the Lord. Be baptized, commit your way to the Lord and look forward because Messiah is coming soon. But that's all he knew. He knew that Messiah was coming, but he didn't know the details about Jesus having already come and died on the cross for our sins and risen again that he was alive today and the kingdom had been established. Now, John the Baptist was great and he had a great ministry and, and we'll see in our passage today, it comes up again that he, he must have had a great impact. We know that many went out to him along the Jordan River and were baptized by him in a baptism of repentance. Well, Apollos had apparently heard that message and the message had gone out, but he never heard the end of the story. So that's all that Apollos knew. He didn't know Jesus had already come. Essentially, when you think about that, if you take that a little deeper, that John the Baptist kind of faith, think about what that would mean for us. 
It's a faith that says, wow, you know, I really need to turn from my sin. I need to get right with God. I need to commit myself to him as baptism would, would be an act of commitment and look forward to Jesus' coming. That's a John the Baptist kind of faith, but it's essentially a crossless faith. <laughs> there is no cross. There is no resurrection. And essentially, it's a graceless faith. There is no grace there. I got to get my act together and get right with God. But it hasn't really gone deep in the grace and love of the Lord because he didn't even know about the cross. Now, it strikes me, as I look at my own life and think about many of us today, that John the Baptist's faith is really common in the Christian world today. A kind of John the Baptist faith where, yeah, we know the story. We know that Jesus has come. We know about grace. We sing about grace. We sing about his love and his acceptance and we're his children and et cetera, et cetera. But if we really look at our lives and how we live the Christian life, for many of us, the Christian life is one of, I got to deal with my sin. I need to repent of that. I need to commit myself to God. And I'm going to look forward to Jesus coming. That's John the Baptist's faith. It leaves out the cross. It leaves out grace. And even though I was well taught as a new believer, I found that my life was really consumed with kind of trying to deal with my sin and trying to repent of sin and commit myself more to God over and over again. Even though I had been well taught, there was something in me that kept being drawn back into John the Baptist's faith. And in fact, as I look at my life today, I see that that's still a pull that's often there. That's why we need each other, brothers and sisters. That's why we need to encourage one another in the grace of God that our worth, that our life comes from God's love of us and grace and what Jesus has already done, that the cross is in the past and our forgiveness is readily available every moment, all the time. That the Christian life is all about what Jesus has already done. It's about grace. It's about his free gift of favor and love. You see, many of us know the word grace and we can even teach it. But do we actually live it? Our pride is going to keep pulling us more and more back to want to do it on ourselves to a place where we don't need grace because we can handle it ourselves. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to be roped together to keep being reminded that it's all about grace and his love for us. How do you know if you're living a John the Baptist faith versus a Jesus faith, a cross-centered faith? Well, one practical way I see in my own life is when you sin, when you blow it, when you know you've done wrong and you've made a bad choice, how do you deal with that? You see, a, a John the Baptist kind of faith, you feel terrible, you feel overwhelmed with guilt, you feel like you have to beat yourself up for a while before you can be presentable to God. You've kind of got to deal with your sin yourself, essentially, before you can come into his presence. You see, that's a John the Baptist kind of faith, brothers and sisters. A Jesus 
Cross-centered faith is one where you've blown it, and yes, you feel the guilt over that, but you come to him and say, wow, Lord, I am so sorry. I blew it. I wasn't depending on you. I need you right now. I need to depend on you more. Help me to cling to you more. And you come right to him, and you are thankful for his grace and his forgiveness, and it actually drives you to him, not away from him. So think about that as you think about what kind of faith am I actually living and why we need each other so much. You see, a John the Baptist kind of faith is really what Dallas Willard calls sin management, where we're just trying to manage our sin and deal with it instead of going directly to him. And we need others to help us find that. That's why we need to rope ourselves together and weave our lives together and our roots together because it's so easy to fall into it all depends on us. Now notice how Priscilla and Aquila approach Apollos who is caught up in this John the Baptist theology, this approach to the Christian life. Interesting that they didn't go on social media (laughs) And tell everybody what bad teaching Apollos had and how he was leading people astray and what a terrible guy he is and, you know. They didn't confront him publicly so everyone would know. They didn't warn other people and say, hey, stay away from that guy, his teaching's bad. Notice what they did when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explain the way of God more accurately. You see, when we rope ourselves to someone else, it means caring enough to say, I I need to talk to them. I need to be involved in their lives. We need to walk this road together towards grace so we can begin to live out grace together. We need each other. I I picture Priscilla and Aquila saying, Hey, Apollos, why don't you come over for dinner? hanging out together, getting to know each other, sharing their lives, and then gently correcting them, teaching him the way of God more accurately, it says. What a beautiful picture of what we are called to do, of roping ourselves to one another so that we can get through this together. And notice verse 27, it says, as Apollos then went on to minister, he ended up in Corinth, and it says, Verse 27, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him when he arrived. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Now he's become a conduit of grace to others. Help them live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he hadn't understood before, but Priscilla and Aquila helped him understand it, so now he's sharing it with others. Isn't that beautiful? And just a side comment, Priscilla and Aquila, notice her name comes first most of the time when she's mentioned in Scripture. Um, some commentators think maybe that was because she was the more uh, of a higher social class, so that's why she was mentioned first. But it was unusual in that culture to mention the wife first. And many think that the reason she's mentioned first is because she was actually the primary gifted one of the couple. She perhaps had the gift of pastor-teacher. It says they instructed him more accurately in the way of the Lord. And I just want to say that 
the elders just recently, just this summer, revised our policy on women in ministry. And we revised it because we didn't want to place any restrictions on women being involved in ministry. We want to encourage you to use your gifts. Women are gifted with all the gifts and need to be set free to use their gifts in all kinds of ways. And so women can be growth group leaders. We have women pastors and on and on. And we want you as women to feel free to use your gifts. So please do. Please do. We need to be roped together, and we need your gifts. So please find a place to minister, to use your gifts, so that we can be roped together. Priscilla and Aquila are a great model for us. When you see somebody off base, let's not just criticize. In fact, let's rope ourselves to them, and let's walk through this together so that they can understand grace rather than living under the pressure to perform Are we willing to build a relationship with them and help them understand the grace of God so they can be set free and have an impact on others? Can we rope ourselves to one another? Third way I see in this passage that they're helping strengthen someone else's faith is by helping others live out Jesus' life. Now I want to read 19. We haven't had it read yet. An incident as Paul goes to Ephesus, and we'll see how he helps them live Jesus' life. It says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I don't know what he saw. I don't know why he thought that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, but it was somehow obvious to him. And they said, No. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. (laughs) Just like Apollos, John, John the Baptist. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, let me tell you who it is, Jesus. He has come. And he's died and he rose again. I'm expanding on what he said, but I think he said a lot, all of that. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, which were the signs in the New Testament, often, you know, the visible signs that the Holy Spirit had come. And there were about 12 men in all. So here we run into 12 men in Ephesus who, like Apollos, had heard the theology, the teaching of John the Baptist, but hadn't heard the end of the story. They'd heard, hey, if you want to follow God, repent, commit your way, and look forward to God coming, to, to the Messiah coming. But that's as much as they knew. They were totally missing the life of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus wants to live his life through us, that God can dwell in us, and we can depend on him Every moment of every day, his life in us. Now, their theology was a little bit off, and I think we need to understand that all of us are a little biased, and our theology can be off a little bit. But N.T. Wright tells the story. He says this. He says, I once knew a church where, despite the protestations and careful teaching of successive pastors, an old lady kept bringing her cat to church. 
and breaking her communion wafer in half to feed the other half to her cat. <laughs> when challenged, she always explained that the cat was the reincarnation of her late husband. <laughs> okay, that's way out there, right? <laughs> but you never know what you're going to find in a church. And we can sit under great, church, great teaching for many years and not really get it. Just like I sat under really great teaching about grace, but I really was not living my life by grace. And we need to interconnect in a way where we encourage one another to live by grace and by the life of Christ in us. Ray Steadman was fond of saying that this may be, and I agree with him, the greatest lack in the church today. Understanding how Jesus really does want to live his life through us. That it's about depending on his life, not our efforts to live out the Christian life. It's his life lived through us. You see, a John the Baptist kind of faith is a resurrection-less faith. It leaves out the resurrection. It leaves out the fact that Jesus is a risen Lord and he told the disciples, hey, it's good I go away because if I go, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit and you're going to have my life to depend on. That, brothers and sisters, is good news. He wants to dwell in us and love through us. How does that actually work, though, right? I mean, that's, that's the struggle that we need to understand because we often don't get it, right? Well, a, a, a practical example is that we know we're called to love our spouse. We know we're called to love our roommates, our friends, our neighbors, whoever it is, that but if you're living a John the Baptist kind of faith, it's I need to do this, I got to figure it out, I better do this, I better commit to doing this, etc., etc. But a, a Jesus faith, the resurrection faith, says, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to reach out to? Or how do you want me to love my spouse? Lord, in fact, would you love them through me? I'm a vessel. I want you to live your life through me. And then, yes, we choose, we step out, but we're believing by faith that it's his life in us. That doesn't mean it works out perfectly. That doesn't mean it all goes great. But it means you're depending on him because you're believing by faith that his life really is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you, and it will empower you to do what you need to do. For many years, just as a pastor doing counseling, I... I, I would find, okay, I've got to figure out the right thing to say. I've got to have wisdom and, and, you know, Lord, give me wisdom, etc. But, but I'm learning more and more to just say, Lord, love this person through me. Help me be present and may you just live your life through me. I, I just want to be a ready vessel. That's so freeing when you begin to just depend on his life in you because he does his thing. When we're parenting, for example, I mean, what's crazier than parenting? <laughs> how do you figure out how to do this right? It's tough. But it isn't about gritting your teeth in a John the Baptist kind of way. It's a, it's, Lord, love my child through me. I don't have the patience. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have what it takes. But will you love my child through me? And, I, and I'm here. Use me. And he loves to answer that kind of prayer. See, that's 
resurrection life. That's living out the new covenant that Paul talks about. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's the Jesus faith. And it's called the new covenant in a number of places in Scripture. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, where he says, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5 and 4 and following, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. He says, we can have confidence in how we live the Christian life. I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I don't have any confidence that I can do this. But he says this, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I I can relate to that. I'm not sufficient. I don't have what it takes. Nothing from me can produce what needs to happen here. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter is, okay, I need to do this and this and this, and I need to grip my teeth, and I need to live a John the Baptist kind of faith. But life in the Spirit is, Lord, I don't have what it takes, but you do live your life through me. And then over at chapter 4, verse 10, he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What an amazing thing that he wants to live his life through us, manifest his life to the world around us as we depend on him. And one last passage that I hope you've memorized. (laughs) It's a good one as we think about his life in us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, wait a minute. I've died with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself over me. Now, that's a mouthful. That's why you need to memorize it so you can meditate on it, right? But notice what he's saying. He says, because Jesus loved me enough, then he wants to live his life through me. I've died with him, and as he lives his life through me, I do it by faith. Lord, I'm believing you're going to live your life through me, and he does. He does. It's his life in us. But it's not easy to live out. It's so counter to our be strong, depend on yourself. You should be able to handle life, world in which we live. And too often that's the Christian community in which we live. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to rope ourselves to each other and help each other live in the life that Christ has given us, to live in the grace he's given us. As we see each other overwhelmed by trying to pull us off ourselves, which we can never do, and getting discouraged trying to live the Christian life, let's rope ourselves to one another and let's seek God's love and grace and power together and pray and learn to depend on Jesus together. Let's rope ourselves together. One final thought. What allowed Paul to be so good at strengthening others in their faith? Well, that first little section, it talked about that he made a vow that he completed. Now, we don't know all the details, what his vow was, but what we do know is it reflects Paul's heart to deeply depend on Jesus himself, 
to really cling to him, to know him deeply. It was a spiritual discipline that he wanted to know and trust Jesus more. A vow was generally in their culture an expression of thankfulness for what God had done, a dependence. Lord, I'm depending on you. I'm clinging to you. I'm trusting you. Thank you for your life that you've given me. So you want to really be able to be a blessing to others and help strengthen others. Well, a key is that you yourself are going deep with God, taking time and energy to depend on his life, to make God first priority. And that's not pressure to get his favor. That's, Lord, you've given me your love and favor. I want to know you more. I want to live this out. I want your life to flow in me because I cannot do this on my own. I don't want to live a John the Baptist faith. I want to live a Jesus resurrection faith. And let's rope ourselves together. You know, let's be like the redwoods and let's interweave our roots so that as we face life, we're able to, to go through these storms together and, and cling to God's grace and not be pulled back into John the Baptist faith, but continue to grow in our dependence on Jesus so that his life can be manifested manifest in us. See, because Priscilla and Aquila were willing to rope themselves to Apollos, Apollos went on throughout the New Testament to have an incredible impact at Corinth and elsewhere for the gospel, simply because they were willing to do that. Because Paul was willing to rope himself to these 12 men to interweave his roots with these 12 men from Ephesus, they became the foundation of one of the greatest churches of the New Testament era, the church at Ephesus. And we, we, you, can have that kind of impact as you're willing to rope yourself to one another and help one another stay true to the grace of God, which is in Jesus Christ, to help each other live by the resurrection power that is a gift that's not so easy to depend on, and that's why we need each other. I need you to be roped to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news. The good news of the gospel that really is true, that your grace is a free gift, and that you want to live your life through us. What could be more amazing than that? And yet, if we're honest, we have to confess we're not very good of, of living that out as though that's really true. So may we be people who encourage one another to live out the gospel. May we strengthen one another and may we be strengthened by one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.